afternoon. You are listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting on Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. This week on The Scoop. It's an emergency. Every, every city in Ontario is facing exactly the same challenge, and we can't solve, we can't solve these issues on our own. Mayor Brian Patterson updates us on where things are at with local affordable housing developments. As the city of Kingston has received $7.4 million from the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation to put towards 47 new housing units for the homeless or those at risk of homelessness. These projects are through the National Housing Strategies Rapid Housing Initiative. Here is my conversation with our mayor. There's currently three new projects, uh, 805 Ridley Drive uh, with Don House, 3 Cassidy Street, and also Curtis Crescent. They, these are the, the three new projects, correct? That's right. That's right. Okay, and this is through the uh, the Rapid Housing Initiative, but I did also see that TP Moselle, which was uh, a couple months back, that's also included as part of the Rapid Housing Initiative? It is, it is. So it's a total of, of 47 new uh, supportive transitional housing units uh, spread out amongst those four projects. But, um, but the, the TP Moza project had a head start. So it's, it's done, and the other three will be done uh, later this fall. Now, uh, were, these, were these locations or projects, I understand uh, this is uh, something that uh, was again, just recently announced, but were these uh, had been in development or, you know, or, or had been at sites that had been considered for, for a long time? Not necessarily. I think every every spot is a little bit different um, based on who owned it or how uh, how we ended up being able to advance the project. I think that that's the the great example of different community partnerships that are involved here. So, as a city, we're involved in different degrees. You know, a couple of them we are funding. A couple of them we're just helping to facilitate. Um, and a couple of a uh, couple of projects like the Ridley Street only came up because the city bought the property a couple of years ago, whereas um, uh, the Curtis Crescent was something that, that was land that was already owned by Kingston Frontenac Housing, and so they were able to, uh, to, to find a way to, to add a few more units on the existing property. So I think every, every property has its own unique story um, and its own unique combination of funding and community partnerships to, uh, to make it happen. Now, uh, several of these projects uh, involve uh, housing for youth or their transitional housing uh, from, you know, from youth into adult developmental services. Uh, so it sounds like uh, there's, there's great demand for this form of housing right now. Oh, there's huge demand. I mean, to be honest, this is, this is the biggest gap, I would say, in the type of housing that is most needed to assist uh, our most vulnerable residents. And additionally, uh, well, where, where the photo op took place uh, down at 805 Ridley Drive. Now, this is uh, also a sense providing uh, safety as well for, for women and children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, I, think it's a, I think it's a really, really exciting and a really very much needed uh, new new project, and that there's opportunity for even further growth at that site, so that we can make sure that uh, that women and 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 women with with children that are in you know vulnerable situations right now can can have uh, access to to safe 
and affordable uh, housing uh, to help them get back on their feet. At uh, a special council meeting a couple months ago, uh, you mentioned uh, that you were a member of the 29 Ontario Big City Mayor Caucus and that affordable housing is across the board the number one issue. And you also mentioned that you had called, as a group, you had called for an emergency meeting. I'm curious, did that ever happen? So it's interesting. We we discussed it again just last week, and uh, we still hadn't gotten an answer back from the province. So we agreed to to push again for that emergency meeting. And so we are hoping that we'll be able to to sit down with uh, government representatives uh, in the next uh, the next couple of months for sure. But it's but we all agreed it's it's an emergency. Every every city in Ontario is facing exactly the same challenge, and we can't solve we can't solve these issues on our own. Where cities are not set up to be able to, uh, to, to be able to, to, to solve uh, and to help with what are very complex uh, challenges. And again, it's not just a housing issue, it's a health care issue. Uh, and the combination of those means that you need health care resources, not just, not just more housing. Now, these, these, these three pro, uh, new projects, in addition to TP Moza, uh, from the Rapid Housing Initiative, now, this was only made possible through federal government funding, and I understand also some provincial funding uh, was part of this as well. Talk about how um, this funding is going to make a huge difference. Well, I mean, I think in an issue like this, it requires partnerships of all three levels of government. So uh, when we're talking about these projects, there are city funds that have been brought forward. It was the, the city that bought a couple of these properties, and then the province has come forward with funding in a couple of projects and the federal RHI funding. Uh, I think it just shows that no one level of government can solve this on our own, certainly not cities. Uh, so being able to have that funding and partnership uh, with upper levels of government is, is critical to be able to uh, to. to um, to make progress in, on such a, a difficult and, and complex issue. And of course, there's more developments to come. Uh, I know at, at a recent meeting, it, it, the talk was about deciding on a new site for um, the, um, you know, what, what, for the, the outreach care and all of that. So there's definitely a lot more to come from what I'm seeing in these developments. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, it's, it's a priority that we need to that we need to address, and so I think that uh, what we're we're seeing are I, I would call them historic investments, certainly on behalf of the city uh, and other uh, community groups, upper levels of government, and other private partners, all kind of joining in together to to try to tackle uh, tackle this and to be able to offer the, the the housing and the supports that these people need. You're listening to The Scoop on CFRC 101.9 FM, CFRC.ca, and podcasting through Spotify and iTunes. I'm Kareem Mosna. You just caught my conversation with Mayor Brian Patterson, giving us an update on where things are at with local affordable housing projects. Well, it would appear the end of August into September is prime time for walks and runs to raise money for social causes. Tomorrow on Citizen K at 5, we'll talk about the Ovarian Cancer Walk happening on Sunday, September 11th. And happening that very same day, the Multiple Myeloma March at Victoria Park. To learn more about multiple myeloma, I spoke with hematologists with the Kingston Health Sciences Center and assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at Queen's University, Dr. Troy Clemens. I have you here to talk about um, multiple myeloma, which I understand uh, is an incurable form of blood cancer. 
And I also yeah, understand but... that this is growing. Like, like this is this is a disease that more and more people are are, are having now. Can you talk a little bit about multiple myeloma for those not familiar? Yes, for sure. So multiple myeloma is a type of uh, blood cancer. It's actually the second most common form of blood cancer. And it's a type of cancer that actually affects an, a type of immune cell that uh, is normally part of our immune system called the plasma cell. And uh, this is a cell that's found in the bone marrow. So the bone marrow is uh, inside of our bones, and that's where all the blood cells are made. And uh, this in multiple myeloma, you actually uh, develop a cancer of the plasma cell, and normal plasma cells make antibodies to help fight off infections. But in multiple myeloma, we actually have a mutated plasma cell that produces abnormal proteins that can cause damage to the body, and um, it can also overgrow in the bone marrow. And so some of the complications that it can cause include um, low uh, blood counts or anemia, it can also cause damage to the bone. Um, it can cause kidney failure, and it can also cause high calcium levels. Those are sort of the most common uh, complications for multiple myeloma. Uh, as you said, it is becoming more common these days. Uh, the prevalence is increasing. And um, as you said, unfortunately, it is still incurable, but uh, we've become a lot better at being able to treat this disease over the years. So people used to only live a couple of years with this disease, and now we can see patients who are able to live with this for 10 years or more. And that's mostly based on a number of new treatments that have come out over the last uh, 10, 15 years that have been very effective at prolonging survival in multiple myeloma patients. Right. Okay. So and I understand now this is, it, it can be difficult to diagnose this as well. Yeah, that is right. So it, it can be a little bit tricky in the sense that it's not like some other types of cancers where patients might be able to feel a lump or have a specific symptom. Often, um, you know, people may have symptoms of fatigue or aches and pains in the bones, which are pretty common symptoms that lots of different people have, especially as they age. Um, but uh, it's often picked up um, maybe uh, on, you know, routine blood counts or Sometimes people will have bone pain and they'll find some uh, damage to the bone on x-rays, for example. Um, but the way that, it, that we would actually need to make the diagnosis is uh, usually with a bone marrow biopsy, where we actually get a sample inside the bone marrow. So most of the time, it does require a referral to a hematologist uh, to make that diagnosis. And that's basically, then the, that would be set with a role that you would play in diagnosing uh, myeloma. Yes, that's correct. Now, again, as, as we did touch on earlier, this is not something that can be cured, but there are treatments available. Tell me about some of the treatments that are currently available. Yeah, so, um, so in terms of uh, the way that we typically would treat multiple myeloma, uh, the first uh, sort of decision that we need to make is whether somebody is eligible for a stem cell transplant or not eligible for a stem cell transplant. And usually that's based on age as well as uh, what we call comorbidity, so other uh, health conditions as well. Uh, if we decide that somebody is young enough and strong enough uh, for a stem cell transplant, then the treatment is usually with um, a combination uh, chemotherapy uh, for about four to six months. And uh, that includes usually one of the novel uh, agents uh, that we that just have come, has come out sort of in the last 15 
years or so. And then uh, in patients who are having a good response, then what we actually do is something called an autologous stem cell transplant. And uh, that's where we actually uh, collect stem cells. So stem cells are sort of like uh, the seeds that grow into the mature blood cells. And those are found in the bone marrow. And we actually uh, collect the patient's own stem cells. We actually uh, freeze the stem cells. And then we actually give patients high-dose chemotherapy. And then we infuse the patient's stem cells back into them. And so that's kind of our usual approach to transplant-eligible multiple myeloma patients. And uh, Kingston Health Sciences Center and Kingston General Hospital is um, one of the uh, centers of excellence for autologous stem cell transplant in the province of Ontario. So we do about uh, 60 or so autologous stem cell transplants a year in Kingston, and uh, the majority of those are actually for multiple myeloma. And wow. that's, one of, that's one of the areas that I specialize in is autologous stem cell transplant. And, and, and these are effective treatments? Yes, they are quite effective. Um, but we also have effective treatments for patients who are older or have a, a number of medical conditions where they're not eligible for uh, autologous stem cell transplant. Uh, and that's typically with a combination of chemotherapy um, with some of the newer chemotherapy agents, usually a combination of that with steroids. And uh, recently, we've also uh, gotten approval for uh, a new immunotherapy treatment uh, called daratumumab in the uh, frontline setting for patients who are not eligible for stem cell transplant. So that's something that we're very excited about. Can, can this be accessed through OHIP? Yeah, we just uh, re this has just uh, recently been uh, funded through OHIP in the last uh, couple of weeks, actually. Oh, oh, this is this, so. This is a relatively re recent change, then. Yes. Okay. So this is something that's uh, quite exciting for the myeloma community because we know that not everybody is eligible for a stem cell transplant, whether it's because of age or other uh, medical problems. Excellent. Now, the fourth annual uh, March for Myeloma coming up in a couple weeks, uh, Sunday, September 11th, here in Kingston at Victoria Park. Um, anything you hope to, to see from this March? Yes. So uh, we're very excited about the Multiple Myeloma March upcoming. And really, uh, the goal of the March is, one, is to uh, raise awareness for Multiple Myeloma. Because although multiple myeloma is, as I said, it's the second most common type of blood cancer and it is becoming more common, it's not um, as well known as some other types of cancers in, the, in terms of the awareness in the general public. So we really want to hope to raise awareness for that. Uh, the other uh, goal is to raise money for research funding for multiple myeloma research. So although we do have as I said, very effective treatments available and that are now funded by OHIP for multiple myeloma, we still uh, can get better in terms of treatment because we still don't have a cure for multiple myeloma. And the way that we improve survival and the way that we may eventually find a cure in the future is through research. And that's the goal of the march is to really uh, raise as much money as possible through research. And uh, that's an area we're hoping to expand as well in, in Kingston uh, General Hospital is to expand opportunities for clinical trials and multiple myeloma. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for sharing this today. I really appreciate your time. 
That was my conversation with hematologist with the Kingston Health Sciences Center and assistant professor in the Department of Medicine at Queen's University, Dr. Troy Clemens, helping us understand multiple myeloma. The multiple myeloma march is happening Sunday, September 11th at Victoria Park. Now it's over to Chris, who has our arts news update. This is Chris Laurie coming in with your arts news updates. If you've been keeping up with the scoop, you may remember the mysterious projecting artists spotted in Kingston over the summer. They kicked things off on Canada Day with a projection of swimmers at Novel Idea on Princess Street. Next, they projected on the side of one of the tour boats at the bottom of Brock Street and the Centennial Fountain. Finally, they had projections at Richardson Beach on the Pavilion and Martello Tower. It has been revealed that these projecting artists are actually part of the Aquanova Collective. Aquanova will be an hour-long performance of music, dance, and large-scale video projections displayed this September at the Isabel Bader Center. The show will tell a story of how Kingston's community lives by the water and explores water's powerful ability to both heal and transform us individually and as a community. The collective is made up of four artists with Sadaf Amini, Kay Kenny, Don Maynard, and Josh Lyon. The show's been in the works for a while, with Don and Josh starting with an idea and putting together their team in 2020. Here's the artistic director, Don Maynard, on the team. Kane Sadaf mentioned sort of um, getting contacted for this way back March 2020, but when did you and Josh sort of start visualizing this? Um, fairly close to that. I'd mm-hmm. say it was, I, I came up with the idea, I believe, in January. Um, talked to Josh probably sometime in February about it, and... As I said, you know, he was into it at that moment. So, and we discussed it in very broad strokes, really. Mm-hmm. And, but I was, having worked with Josh in the past, he knew the way I worked. And mm-hmm. he, we both really trusted each other that we would both deliver um, what was needed for this show. And he had actually recommended um, Kay. Kay's a friend of mm-hmm. his. I didn't know Kay at all, actually. And so he highly recommended her as a dance choreographer. And so I met with her and loved her and saw some of the things that she had already done, which were great, seemed to fit really well. So that's how Kay was included. Uh, Sadaf, I accidentally ran in. I saw her play accidentally at a friend's party that Mm -hmm. uh, Claire Bouvier, who's um, a media musician herself around town, um, Sadaf was performing there at her party. And so I had never heard a sand tour before myself Mm -hmm. and I was completely blown away uh, by what was happening as she was playing her music the sand tour does this very unusual thing but maybe only to my ears I don't know Uh, it creates uh, uh, like a um, a harmony of itself Mm -hmm. as it's being played so you actually have an entire new layer of sound Mm -hmm. inside the music you're hearing so it sounds you, you wonder how is that even possible but uh, I thought that was amazing, and immediately I asked her if she would like to be part of this show and take the lead on the sound for uh, for mm-hmm. the film and for the dance, and she agreed. Wow, so it's like everything just like fell together. <laughs> it, sometimes it just works that way. Sometimes, you know? definitely. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And where can people catch the show? Well, it's being held at the Isabel Bader Center, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know the Isabel Bader Center of the Performing Arts. Um, which is beside the Tet Center. Maybe, you know, new students here may not be familiar with that. But it's this beautiful architectural building, um, and it's uh, it's being held September 10th, September 11th, so two nights, uh, from 7.30, the doors open, 
till 9.30. That was Don Maynard, Artistic Director of Aquanova, on getting the team together for this project. Sadaf Amini, who did music for this project, and choreographer and dancer Kay Kenny also sat down to give some details on how they involved on how they got involved and their creative process. So you got involved March 2020. Have you pretty yeah. much sort of been preparing since then? Well, the show has been pushed back numerous times, right, Sadaf? <laughs> we've yeah. <laughs> we've been on standby for about like two years. Yeah, this is just a show that's been two years in the making. So um yeah, we're excited to finally bring it to fruition um, with all the, yeah, lots of like canceled swim dates and, and pools being closed. And it was really hard to kind of get um, things going. It was the start and stop, start and stop situation. And we've been able to find our flow in the last uh, six months. So that's really exciting. Yeah. So Sadaf, the same for you. Yeah, that's correct. Like as a team, um, we had to we had uh, we had to postpone the uh, the actual performance a couple of times because of COVID and also the um, process of the project. As um, Kay mentioned, we we had lots of uh, like stops and go in between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, in terms of just your collaboration, Sadaf, did you see the projections before and then come up with your compositions, or was it the other way around? Um, um, I I watched some some parts of the um, projection content, um, and then I had some material to see how it goes and some uh, like a like a path that we wanted to follow. And um, we also had conversation um, during our meetings that what what we want to do and what we want to see. Um, so um, each one of us started creating on our own, and then. Um, at some point, we got together and um, see, checked the material again together, and we were still working on it. So um, it's a it's a process that all the um, different lines are going together separately, but 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 getting together at some point again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we have. Um, it's been like a busier couple of weeks with the collaboration process because, like Sadaf said, all of our lines are beginning to cross now, and um, yeah, it's an exciting place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really exciting. And Kay, for you, did you see the projections before you started choreographing or did you just sort of go for it? Um, well, I, I had, we had our first rehearsal um, a long time ago <laughs> and then we paused for a bit because we had so much, um, we had so much creative material for the, for the projection. So uh, I had my, like, we've kind of dove deep, deeper into the choreographic process for the live dance element um a couple weeks ago and um yeah it's I just saw the first full version of the film uh last week so now we're in uh, okay like kind of cutting and pasting elements as well mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. exciting to see it all sort of come together at the end yeah mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. a beast it's a big it's there's a <laughs> lot of things going on and the four of us um yeah, we really have to work together to make sure that everything's coordinated. That was Sadaf and Kay on their roles as musician and dancer, respectively, for Aquanova. Filmographer Josh Lyon also sat down to give some details regarding the process of putting this show together. We agreed as a collective to take a pretty experimental approach to it. So, you know, we would sit around and have brainstorm sessions of things that we wanted to try. But because you're paying for rentals uh, or because you've got limited time working in different locations, or the weather is only going to cooperate for an hour, mm-hmm. uh, or that night shoot underwater stuff we did in the lake. You know, it was like there's a, there's a lot of variables. 
Um, and so we agreed to take a very experimental approach to the whole project, which meant that then you try things, some of the things work and some of the things were fun to try and, uh, you know, maybe get saved for another time or, um, but yeah, no, not a lot of time for rehearsals in those kinds of conditions. That was just a bit of what Don Maynard, Sadaf Amini, Kay Kenny, and Josh Lyon, all the members of the Aquanova Collective, had to say about the upcoming show. Those are actually some bonus clips from a full interview that already aired here on CFRC. Those are actually some bonus clips from a full interview that already aired here on CFRC, but you can listen to the longer interview but you can listen to the longer interviews with more details on preparation for the show and the collective on our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca under the Kingston Curator. Again, Aquanova will be displayed as an hour-long performance on September 10th and 11th at the Isabel from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. This is a free, all-ages show with music, dance, and film. You can visit their website, aquanovacollective.com, and their Facebook and Instagram at Aquanova Collective for more details. Also, be sure to keep your eye out around Kingston for one last preview projection somewhere in the city before the show. Writers Fest 2022 will run from September 28th to October 2nd, 2022, and tickets are on sale now at kingstonwritersfest.ca. I spoke with artistic director Aaron McCulley, who chatted a bit about this year's festival. 30 plus events, is that right? That's right, yeah. So 30 plus uh, onstage events, and then we also have our writer studio classes and some school visits, which we have back this year. And I'm Awesome. I just thought there's events sort of for everyone. So did you want to give a few examples of events planned? Sure, yeah. So the festival is really um, for the community. And so as you mentioned, there's um, programming for all ages and all different genres. Uh, we have things like uh, fiction. We've got Heather O'Neill opening up um, with a historical fiction book on Wednesday night. We also have thrillers. We've got Ian Reed for that and Nita Prose with a kind of a cozy mystery. And then on the nonfiction side, we have uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, which is our marquee Thursday event, talking about the connection between mental illness and addiction and trauma. And then we have our big idea panel, which is always the sort of cherry on top on Saturday night with Carol Off. And she's got Taja Issen, um, Stephen Marsh and Robin Maynard talking about the weaponization of words. So the way that um, politicians and other individuals have taken words like fascist and dictator and woke and spun them for their own reasons. So I think that'll be uh, a lot of fun. We've also, speaking of fun, got um, uh, Ali Hassan, who is a stand-up comedian, author, and host of Canada Reads, doing a literary trivia night for us this year. Uh, there's also poetry, there's francophone programming, um, environmental issues, so yeah, and food events. So This is all over five days, This right? is all over five yeah. days, yeah. <laughs> so genre and emotional roller coaster in the best way possible yes. for five days. Yeah. Love that. And there's also a writing retreat, isn't there? There is, yeah. So that is something um, we've done sort of in a really concerted way um, for the last five or so years. Um, so it's 12 different authors, um, all award-winning authors, and they're doing intensive two and a half hour classes on different points of writing craft. So um, given the themes this year, uh, which is really looking at identity and mental health and activism, there are classes, a lot of classes on um, biography, writing your own story, um, how to do an effective interview, um, and then also how to get published. <laughs> 
That's all I have for you today, but stay tuned here on CFRC 101.9 FM to keep up with all your local arts news. Thank you very much, Chris. Well, the weather for the week cooling off after the uh, mini heat wave we experienced today. Mainly cloudy with showers tomorrow, risk of a thunderstorm, the high 23. For Wednesday, sun and clouds, again, the high 23, and same story for Thursday as we head into the new month of September. Sunny skies, 23, Friday, sunny, and 24. And a quick note on the roads, eastbound on concession from Princess to Leroy Grant will be closed tomorrow morning from 9 until 11 as forestry crews remove a tree. And Garrett from Division to University will be closed until October 16th for water and sewer installations. Thank you for listening to The Scoop this week on CFRC 101.9 FM, broadcasting from Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee people. You can find previous episodes of The Scoop by going to cfrc.ca.